Welcome to the Wrap Yourself in Joy podcast. I'm Karen Dwyer, speaker, teacher, and author of four books on joy. If you are searching for more joy in your life, join me for about 15 minutes every week. It could change your life. My newest series is called Esther and Turnaround Joy and is based on my book, Esther for Such a Time as This, Prayer, Reversals, and Joy. It has an imprimatur and a built-in study guide. Why not invite a friend or small group to join you in listening? Then meet over coffee every week to go through a chapter and grow in joy together. The podcast is brought to you by the Ultimate Christian Podcast Network. Please subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Hello. Welcome to Wrap Yourself in Joy. I'm Karen Dwyer, and you're listening to my third series called Esther and Turnaround Joy. We're already at episode five, called For Such a Time as This. These words come directly from chapter four of the book of Esther. Today, we join Esther and Mordecai after Mordecai has refused to bow down and pay homage to Haman. The enraged Haman, who had a hatred for Jews, cast Purim, somewhat similar to our dice, to determine the date for killing all the Jews throughout all of Persia. The king agreed, and an annihilation edict was drafted on the day before Passover, and the announcement was distributed throughout the kingdom on Passover, the very day Jewish families commemorate annually the time God delivered them from slavery in Egypt and saved their firstborn. Now, their joy-filled Passover celebration was turned into a time of weeping. Could you imagine this happening to you, your family, or your church family on a celebration like Easter? No wonder their celebration turned to national wailing. Let's start reading at Esther 4, verses 1 through 4. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went through the city wailing with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. In every province, wherever the king's command and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and most of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maid and her eunuchs came and told her the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. In these verses, we read that Mordecai heard of the edict to destroy all Jewish people. He sobbed greatly. He tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and headed for the city square at the palace gate. Then he wailed and wept bitterly. Even the Persians would have understood this as a sign of tremendous grief because they too tore their clothes when the Greeks defeated them at the Battle of Salamis in 480 BC. For all the Jews, the happy celebration of Passover with family and friends and traditions and food was quickly turned into wailing and fasting and prayer. Mordecai wore sackcloth and ashes to signify public repentance, a change of heart, of spiritual poverty or even death. Sackcloth made from grain bags was scratchy. It could cut the skin, and it served as an act of penance and pleading with the Lord. Ashes worn on the head or satin were a sign of self-humiliation and deep sorrow over a national disaster. Let's continue reading Esther 4, 5 through 12. 
Then Esther called for Hatak, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what was happening and why. Hatak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and charge her to go to the king to make supplication to him and entreat him for her people. Hatak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hatak and gave him a message from Mordecai, saying, All of the king's servants and the peoples of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law. All alike are to be put to death. Only if the king holds out a golden scepter to someone may they live. I myself have not been called to come into the king for 30 days. So you see, Esther was afraid to go to the king. She lived in a plush environment of the palace, even though it was thrust upon her. As Mordecai instructed, she had not revealed her Jewish heritage. But she may have become secluded from the world around her. Obviously, she wasn't aware of Haman's edict. When her maids and eunuchs told her about Mordecai's behavior, it seemed as though she had lost communication with him. She sent him clothes without asking why he was clad in sackcloth and ashes. She feared for his safety since he was not properly dressed. Plus, he showed sadness near the king, which was forbidden. Only when he refused the clothes did she ask what was wrong. Then Mordecai gave her the evidence, but she indicated she just could not go to the king as he hadn't called for her in over 30 days. If she went without a call, she could be put to death by law. Let's finish reading the final verses of Esther 4. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. If you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another quarter. But you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that I will go to the king, though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther ordered him. So in these last verses of Esther chapter 4, We read she called for national fasting, which was not a new practice for her people. Throughout Old Testament history, fasting meant fervently calling out to God with a heart of repentance and sorrow and submission and supplication to seek Him for help and protection and provision and forgiveness. For example, in Judges 20, the Jews fasted in time of war to seek God's intervention. In Joel 1 and 2, they fasted and prayed for God to end a famine. In Samuel 1, Hannah and her barrenness fasted and interceded for a child, and God answered her. And in Jonah 3, the entire city of Nineveh fasted and prayed when they heard Jonah proclaim their destruction for sin, and they were saved. Every year, according to Leviticus 23, 
all of Israel fasted on the Day of Atonement, also called Yom Kippur, to repent and change their ways as instructed by God. This is what's interesting. A scapegoat would be driven into the desert to represent the sins of the people, obviously a foreshadowing of what Christ would do for us on the cross. As they prayed, repented, and humbled themselves, then their sins would be taken from God's sight on the scapegoat. They would return to God and be renewed in relationship with Him. So you see, for Christians, Jesus is our scapegoat, or sacrificial lamb, who takes away our sins. Fasting is about relationship. It's about aligning ourselves with God, to draw close to Him, to worship Him, to hear from Him, to repent and turn around and change our ways. Fasting changes us as we seek God. A fast of drinking only water or juice can last a meal until nightfall, a full day or more. Fasting can also involve refraining from certain foods like meat or wine or delicacies as Daniel did in chapter 10, or refraining from distractions that keep us from praying and spending time with the Lord. You could fast from media or television or internet usage or shopping for a certain amount of time, a time that you would then spend with God. Fasting takes planning for most of us, but most importantly, it involves replacing our time spent eating or running around in busyness with prayer and quality time seeking the Lord. For the plan, you may want to write down your objective like a breakthrough you need at home or work, decide how you will fast, juices or broth, only until sundown, schedule time for adoration and personal prayer, read God's Word and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, and believe God will answer you with a special gift of wisdom or assistance or a miracle. In Esther's case, an extreme response would be required for her to safely go to the king, so she called for an extreme fast. Three days of abstaining from food and water for an entire nation. Esther had two names, Hadassah and Esther. Esther means star or happiness in Persian. Hadassah means myrtle in Hebrew, which the Jewish Talmud further defines as one who is sweet and righteous. Plus, the name Esther is derived from the Hebrew word Hester, which means hiddenness, suggesting Esther's Jewish identity would be hidden for a time. Imagine Esther's emotions as she thought about Mordecai's request. The English Standard Version Catholic Edition translates verse 14 this way, And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. The time for Esther to reveal her faith had come. She could choose to remain silent in the pagan kingdom, or she could reveal her religious heritage and stand with her people. When Hatak returned with Mordecai's plea to go to the king, she indicated the cost was too great. The king may have lost her interest in her since it had been 30 days. She also may have been worried that she could go the way of Vashti. Remember, it's only five years since she was crowned queen. To go before the king without an invitation would result in execution if King Ahasuerus did not extend the royal scepter. Historian Herodotus reports that only seven friends of the king were permitted to come into his presence without an invitation, and that was only if he wasn't with a woman. The sacrifice seemed too great. Mordecai would not accept 
Esther's no, but responded with three persuasive points. One, if you keep silent, you will not escape the decree more than any other Jew. Two, God will deliver the Jewish people through someone else, but you and your father's family will perish. Three, you may have come to this place for such a time as this. Mordecai's words pierced Esther's heart, and at that moment, she seemed to grab hold of her spiritual roots. It appears she caught a heavenly vision in her heart and took responsibility that would determine not only her destiny, but that of her people. Esther realized that it would take divine intervention from heaven to keep her from perishing. So she called for three days of fasting for all Jews and even her maids. With courage and planning drenched in prayer, repentance, and fasting, she agreed to put her life on the line for such a time as this. She would go before the king with resolve, If I perish, I perish. In both Deuterocanonical editions, Esther 13 and Esther 14, which are Mordecai and Esther's prayers, we find examples of intercessions where they declared God's greatness in praise and worship, where they repented in sorrow for their own failings and the sins of their nation, where they poured out their needs to God, and then where they asked for God's intervention. I'm just going to read to you Esther 13, 9, where Mordecai prayed to the Lord and declared God's greatness. He said, O Lord, you rule as king over all things, for the universe is in your power, and there is no one who oppose you when it is your will to save Israel. For you have made heaven and earth and every wonderful thing under heaven. You are Lord of all, and there is no one who can resist you, the Lord. Also, Esther 14 shows especially repentance and pleas for God's intervention. Esther took off her splendid apparel put on the garments of distress and mourning, and instead of costly perfume, she covered her head with ashes and dung, and she utterly humbled her body, praying, And now we have sinned before you, and you have handed us over to our enemies because we glorified their gods. You are righteous, O Lord, O God, whose might is over all. Hear the voice of the despairing and save us from the hand of evildoers and save me from my fear. It's time to end our journey for today with a bit of personal reflection on Esther. At first, Esther was not aware that God had a mission for her. God planned to use her powerfully. Through Mordecai's help, she discerned her mission, God's mission for her, but she was afraid and still denied it. But once Esther saw the mission was hers and hers alone for that place and that time, She accepted it, but she needed the grace of God and the help of intercessors, so she joined herself with fellow prayers. She asked her entire Jewish nation to pray and fast and repent and seek God's intervention. Only after three days of prayer and fasting did she find the grace and strength to proceed in her mission to be used by God to save the Jewish people. What is God's mission for you at this place, at this time? Why not pray, Lord Jesus, what's my mission? He may want to expand it. He may want to change it. What comes to mind in prayer may surprise you. Often, it involves bringing the love of God and His testimony to those around you. But sometimes, it may be more than you ever thought possible. Please consider praying with me St. John Henry Newman's prayer, I have a place. I'm going to start it right now 
and you can pray it as I read the first few sentences. I have a place in God's counsels, in God's world, which no one else has. Whether I be rich or poor, despised or esteemed by man, God knows me and calls me by name. God has created me to do him some definite service. He has committed some work to me, which he has not committed to another. I have my mission. All right, the rest is in a free bookmark on my wrapyourselfenjoy.com website. As we come to the end of our podcast today, I'm so happy that you've joined our Esther and Turnaround Joy podcast series. You can find more bookmarks for my podcast on my wrapyourselfenjoy.com website, or you can follow along with my book, Esther, for such a time as this, Prayer Reversals and Joy. Until next week, know that I'm praying that you have a joy-filled week, and I'm asking God to open your eyes to see your mission. Don't settle for a worldly lifestyle, but only one that pleases the Lord. Spend time this week with Jesus and ask Him to help you discern His mission for your life. And pray with St. John Henry Newman's prayer, I have a place. Thanks for joining me today. Please visit me on my website, wrapyourselfinjoy.com, where you can learn more about my books, download free bookmarks, and connect with me. Please follow me on your favorite podcast app and invite a friend to join you too. You can download the show notes from today at wrapyourselfinjoypodcast.com. Until next week, this is your friend, Karen Dwyer, reminding you to wrap yourself in joy. <music>